0: Well, let's pray before we start, and then I'll have you open your Bibles up. Lord, thanks for this time. Thank you that we get to spend time talking about your original intent for relationships, for intimacy, and for connectedness, Lord. And I pray that uh, as we talk, Lord, that we would hear this through the lens of your best intention for us, and not out of maybe guilt or shame. Lord, that uh, you would help us uh, recraft and uh, rethink how we look at uh, relationships, uh, both romantic and Uh, friendships, Lord. Thank you for everyone here, and uh, I just pray that this would be uh, your time uh, to minister to us. In your name, amen. Okay, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Or I should say, pull out your iPhones or iPads or whatever else you got. Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to read... 18 through 25, so follow along, Genesis chapter 2, 18 through 25, and it says this, The Lord God said it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called them, each living creature was its name. So Adam gave names to cattle and the birds of the air and every beast of the field, but Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman, and he brought her to man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We've heard this a lot. If you grew up in the church, we've heard this passage. But I want to take it from a different perspective. This was God's original intent, right? How many of you realize this is a dumb question, but that we're not living out God's original intent, right? You go farther along in in Genesis, and what happens? We have the fall. Sin enters into the world, and from that point, what are we trying to do? We're either trying to, we're ch- chasing God's original intent for us with relationship. And who is the one that comes in and really screws things up for us? Satan, right? We can say it. That's okay. The, the evil one, right? He's, he's perverted it just to a degree that it seems like it's truth, but it's really not. Right? He's perverted it just enough that it seems like the truth, but it's not. And so what I want to do today is I really want to talk about this idea of coming back to the original intent, chasing God's original intent for us in intimacy and relationships. And so I'm going to make you squirm a little bit, and this is my job, but we're going to talk about some things uh, that maybe you've never talked about in church before. Um, And we're going to—it's not the sex talk, don't worry—but we're going to talk about what it looks like, and I want you to really reevaluate your own perspective on this idea— of what it means to chase intimacy, connectedness, and relationship. Sound good? So if, if you listen better by just putting everything down and listening, do that. But if you listen better by taking notes, do that. We're going to have some group time in about 20, 25 minutes where you're going to spend some time at your table answering some questions and talking about this. Um, but I want this to really sink in for one reason, and one reason only. God desires his best for you in relationships. Can I get an Amen. God desires his best for you in relationships. And a lot of times we get you know brought through a lot of crap in our lives that isn't God's best because of relationships gone bad, right? So my first point today is this. We are created for intimacy, connectedness and relationships. We are com- uh, created for intimacy, connectedness and relationships. So if you've been to any of my talks before, you know that I am a brain geek. I love looking at the body. I love looking at how God has actually wired us, because we can talk about this, but if we don't go deeper, we don't really understand just the complexity and the beauty of how God has created us to be in relationship. So I'm not going to bore you with pictures and that kind of stuff, but just think about this. We have hundreds of billions of neurons, and each one has thousands of connections, and so if you do the math, there are trillions of neurosynaptic connections in our, in our body, right? And what we've found in science is that the majority of those connections are, are designed to enhance the relational experience. Do you hear what I said? You're all falling asleep on me here. Those trillions of connections, so thinking about what 's going on in your brain and your body right now, those trillions of connections, the majority of those are actually designed to enhance our related, relatedness, our connectedness, our intimacy that 's pretty cool. It should be pretty cool. So our neural circuits are wired through a combination of nurture and nature. Every time we 're in relationship or experience a relationship with somebody, good or bad, we make connections right? It was intended, God's best was intended for be good, but because sent into the world, we have had bad relationships, haven't we? And, and that has wired our brain differently. Dr. Dan Siegel is one of my favorite people. If you want to read something more on this, he has actually a book called Brainstorm, or The Mind Mindsight, and they talk about just the relationalness of our neuro-connectedness. I know it's a big scientific term. It's really not that bad of a read. It's really cool. But he says this, human, connected, human connections created neural connections. So every time I look at somebody, every time I look at my wife or my daughter or my parents, and we have that eye contact, we're creating new neural connections to increase and enhance attachment, intimacy, relationship. And I want you to think about this as I'm talking. When was the last time you looked into somebody's eyes longer than five seconds? Don't make anybody feel uncomfortable right now but when was the last time you looked into somebody's eyes for longer than five seconds? We're gonna, I'm going to give you some questions at the end to talk through, but there's a social psychologist named Dr. Arthur Aaron, and he studied at Berkeley, but he was a relationship expert. And in 1997, he put out his first study on the streets of San Francisco. And here's what he did. He drew uh, his population sample size from strangers in the streets of San Francisco. They signed a waiver, but he had them stare into each other's eyes, for four minutes. Now, if you think five seconds is long, try four minutes. Four minutes, and then he had them answer, ask and answer 36 more increasingly vulnerable questions of each other. I'm going to give you those questions at your table afterwards so you can see it, and you're going to start, I'm not going to make you stare in each other's eyes, don't worry, (laughs) because half of you will leave right now. (laughs) But here's what he found. He found, is that that study developed friendships. And from that friendship developed romance. And from that study, people got married. Pretty, pretty cool, right? Pretty powerful. But it's, here's the thing. Is it's, is it's, it's similar to sitting for a long time on an airplane with somebody and developing that you know, relationship. It's similar to maybe experiencing a a retreat or a mission trip or something where you are on a deeper level with each other and you walk away feeling more connected. But it proves this, and he was not a Christian. It proves that we're created for intimacy, connectedness, and relationship. The interesting thing is that if you've had bad relationships, and so I know some of you are thinking about, okay, I didn't have a good relationship with my parents. I haven't had good dating relationships. The brain is adaptable, and the brain is plastic, meaning that if you are able to enter into a relationship that is safe, that is uh, trustworthy, that you can rebuild those new neural connections and make new ones and get rid of the old ones and, and really rewrite your past so to speak. So I want you to just think about that for a minute. If you're sitting here going, this doesn't apply to me because I've had bad relationships my whole life. No, it does. Because you have the power to create new. And Dan Siegel says this. He goes, our experience shapes our relationships. And he goes, that changes throughout life. The brain is the organ of adaption, and it builds structures and connections throughout our life. So it goes back to that st- phrase, when God was looking at Adam in Genesis 2, And he saw that he had created all types of animals to have helpmates. He looked at Adam and said, even though I have a relationship with Adam, he needed something else. It's not good for man to be alone. And we know through science that our brain does not reach its fullest potential unless it's in relationship with others. Let me say that again. Our brain does not reach its fullest potential until it's in relationship with others. And so we know this throughout history as we study Uh, adoption as we study, uh, you know, some of the things that happened in in communism when they came in after the fall and they went into these orphanages and found that these babies were dying, even though they were being fed and their diapers were being changed, they were not in relationship with others. We need relationship. The first three years of life are the most important years of life because, you know, if you know what a a baby, uh, their skull is not fused together, right? And it doesn't take, you know, it's like a year and a half, two years old, maybe a little after, after that, Uh, that their skull fuses together. You know why that is? It's because it allows room for the brain to grow. And the only way that the brain grows in a child is through nurturing relationships. And I have pictures. I didn't bring them today because I didn't know I was talking until Friday night. Um, But I have pictures of brain scans of a child that is in a healthy relationship and a child that's been neglected at three years old. And their skull is smaller and their brains haven't developed because they haven't had nurturing relationships. We've been created... For relationship, another really cool thing is they did a study back in '94. Uh, scientists actually studied monkeys to see how their neurons reacted in different things, and it was more like eating. What happened if they ate a banana, and what happened if they did this? I don't know why people get paid for that kind of stuff, but I'd fall asleep just thinking about it. But here's one cool thing that happened out of this: is they were had electrodes on one monkey, and he was eating a banana, and they had electrodes on another monkey, and he was watching. And what they found is that the same neurons in the monkey that was watching, or eating, fired in the monkey that was watching. The exact same neurons. It was if if he was eating the, the banana too. And so they did more studies and they found out that when I'm in relationship with somebody like my kids and my wife, our neurons are matching and mirroring each other. And we're connecting. So think about that. If you're upset, have you ever been at home and you're upset? Or let's say you walk home from school or from work and the house is upset, what happens to you when you get home? You get upset. It's because our neurons are mirroring what's going on in the house. But if we know that that's happening, and that's part of the connectedness piece, the calm person in that house has the ability to calm the rest of the house down by their, neuro, their neurotransmitters and neurons. We're created for connectedness. Now let's talk about not just the brain, the physiology. How many have heard of the, the cuddle hormone, oxytocin? Okay? Oxytocin actually is dumped at two different points throughout life. One at the birth of a child, and it's supposed to bring the connectedness of the mother and the child. And then also, if the mother is breastfeeding, it brings the connectedness. That's when oxytocin is dumped in the mother and in the child. Here's what makes you feel uncomfortable. It also happens in orgasm, in sex. We're created for connectedness and intimacy. It's the reason that only dumps when we are in relationship the way God intended it is because it's meant to draw us closer together. It's meant to bind together us in a, in a stronger way. And what they found with oxytocin is this, is that in a healthy marital relationship where sex is happening, the husband and wife get closer and closer and closer because of the oxytocin dump every time they're together we're going to come back and talk about how sin and Satan has messed that up, right? But this is the way God has intended it. We are created for intimacy, connectedness, and relationship. We're going to talk a little bit later about this idea of attachment, but the oxytocin goes with that. We're meant to connect not only on a physical level, being close to each other, but God has created us to be connected on an unseen level as well, not only from the brain, but from the body. There's actually, science shows that there is actually a chemical connection between father and daughter that is uniquely different than mother and daughter, and mother and son that is uniquely different than father and son. And again, hear this through the lens of mercy and grace, right? If you didn't have this, it's okay. You can reclaim that, redeem this, because that's God's best for you. But sometimes we don't know how to change what we don't know, right? So my second point, so my first point, created for intimacy, connectedness, and relationship, my second point is intimacy, connectedness, and relationship has been perverted. Like, that's a dust statement, isn't it? What ways have we seen this being perverted? Well, I think the first thing is that we have an over-sexualized culture. One way that Satan twists what God meant for good is through our over-sexualized culture. You can't turn on, I mean, I've got a nine-and-a-half-year-old, nine-and-a-half, yeah, I guess, nine-and-a-half-year-old daughter and almost four-year-old daughter. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> And it, it's, it's almost more stressful for us to sit around the TV and watch together than it is not to watch TV at all. Why? Because commercials now, every sex sells everything. And it's, it's perverted to the point where we think we want that, but we don't know what we really want because we haven't really figured these things out yet. And it seems like it's the good thing, but it's not the good thing because Satan has perverted the truth. What is the number one growing industry in the United States in the world? Pornography. And it's not just, um, we're finding now from, from counseling, yes, there's probably, um, this is a loose statistic, but 60 to 65% of young men are being exposed to pornography at 8, 9, 10 years old now. What does that do to God's best? What does that do to what we see that God wanted to happen in Genesis 2? Not only are guys struggling with it now, we're finding out that 45% of young women are struggling with pornography now. Again, not, not something to produce shame or guilt. It's just what is. And so we're going to talk about how do we redeem God's best in a little bit. But part of that is calling these things out into the light, right? This stuff likes to harden the darkness, doesn't it? And if we go back to what's God's best, it doesn't feel like so much it's rules and things I have to do. It's going, this is God's heart for me. And if I'm walking in this, this is not what God's best is for me. How do I get to that point? Another thing too is what is culture telling us about our first sexual experience. Right? Yeah, I mean that's what I'm getting too, right? It's just the, the, you're looking at it going we have so many messages coming at us. You know, well, you know, you should experience sex before marriage, so you know what you're doing or get it right or what, you know. And you should do it multiple times with multiple people or what I don't know what you guys are hearing as young people. I remember what I was hearing as a young person, but I'm not young anymore. So like What is those messages? You need to call those things out. You need to write those down. You need to make a statement, a declaration that I'm not going to believe these things anymore about what the world is telling me about God's best. Right? You guys following? You tracking? Because if we get caught up in that, we're never going to experience what God has for us. But here's the beauty of this. If we're caught up in that, we can redeem that to what God has for us. Can I get an amen on that one? We have competing perspectives even in the church, don't we, of what God's best is. And I want to just walk through four things real quick that you might not even think about unless I bring them up. We have this idea of covenant versus contract. What's the difference between a covenant and a contract? Somebody shout that out. What's a contract? Written piece of paper, but what does it mean? Who's who's bound in the contract? It's a future deal right? It's calling both parties that here's what you're expected of you, and if you don't do what's expected of you, what do we do in a contract? Peace. See you later, right? A contract is saying that you have a way to get out. And that's where the world, how the world looks at marriage right now, doesn't it? We have an out. God's best is covenant, right? It means that no matter what you do, I'm going to be, I'm going to stay present. Now, obviously, it's not that simple. I want to make sure a disclaimer on that one real quick. As a counselor, I know it's not that simple because you, have, you can't control what the other person does sometimes, and there's abusive relationships and things like that. that um, I wish it was that simple, but it's not. But God's best is covenant. You look at God's best in his covenants with Abraham and Moses and, and just throughout Scripture. It was never on what the, the human did. It was always on what God does. That's why salvation is a covenant, not a contract. Grace versus law. What is law? Law is a set of rules that you have to follow, and if you don't, you get in trouble, right? We uh, had a fundraiser for Mayfield Counseling this weekend, and uh, uh, Shane and some others were there, and we walked—it was actually go-kart racing, and it was racing our cops and our police officers. So we walked upstairs, and I don't know how many, Shane, there was like 40, 30 or 40 police officers— I know, yeah. I never walked. I got up there and I'm like, uh. Why does that do? Well, because they represent law, they represent order and rules. And sometimes it f- makes us afraid because there's so many things we got to follow. No, God says, there's not rules you got to follow. If you understand what my best is for you, you're going to be able to walk this out. And there's grace in that, right? Number three empowering versus possessive. A relationship you should be empowering each other not possessing each other, right? Um, I don't, I'm not sure what my wife would say, but I, I don't own her, right? I don't possess her. We empower each other. And, and sometimes I need my butt kicked to do a better job of that. But she's been awesome in that, in empowering God's best, not possessing and controlling what we're supposed to have. So see the, the, so covenant, contract, law, grace, empowering versus possessive. But here's the, here's the last one. Intimacy versus distance. Intimacy is scary. I'm just going to say that out loud. Intimacy is scary because it's the unknown. And it's basically being very vulnerable. What did it say at the end of, of verse 25? It says, They were together, they were naked, and they were not ashamed. That's God's best, right? That's intimacy. Not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Being vulnerable and being naked with each other. That's scary. But that's God's best. Marriage is supposed to be a reflection of our relationship with God. And we look at this world and go, then what happened? Well, it was perverted. So if we're created for intimacy connected in relationship, and it's been perverted in our world, what do we do? Well, first of all, I think we need to realize that we're always searching for it. Right? We're always searching for what God intended. And I want to call that out real quick because for those of you that say, you know what, well, I've got these urges or I've got these thoughts or these feelings. It's okay because that's what God intended. Because we're always searching for it. The minute the fall happened, we began to search to fill that gap, to fill that hole, right? And so you look out throughout scripture and it's basically this this story unfolding of man chasing what was lost in the garden and God pursuing to redeem. And if we look at that through our relationships and through our intimacy and the connectedness piece, it makes it so much more beautiful than just sex. And when I sit with clients in session uh, and we talk, I mean, if I'm doing a marriage session, I'm pretty bold, I'll ask them about their, you know, I want to get to the bottom of this, you know. And, And it always comes back, intimacy equals sex. No. Intimacy does not equal sex. Sex is the culmination of intimacy. Do you hear what I said? Intimacy does not equal sex. Sex equals the culmination of intimacy. Intimacy is friendship. David and Jonathan. Intimacy is just being in the trenches with somebody, loving on them, getting to know them, without judgment, without... And so we, we've perverted even that word in our society to think of that it equals sex. But God's best is in relationship. And that could be husband and wife, but it could be best friends. Okay? So if we're chasing it, there's, there's four things that I really want you to consider. And I, and I made it really easy. They're all S's. I always hated when pastors did that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that first one is that we are always looking to be seen. We're always looking to be seen. And this means that our inner mental life is sensed beneath our behavior, right? So if we're always trying to be seen, it's the, the idea that I can go home and I can, I can see that my wife is struggling even though she's not said anything because of the intimacy that we have. And I'm going to step up and engage because I see something's going on even if they, she hasn't mentioned it. We need, we're, but how else do we try to be seen? You've got to ask that question of yourself. We're always searching for safety. We're looking to be seen. We're searching for safety. Basically, this idea that we're both being protected from harm and that we're not terrified of each other. We're looking for safety, right? So, example, I come home and I notice that something's happening and I see it. I call it out. And I create safety. Let's sit and talk. Can I give you a hug? Let's just be together. I can't fix this for you or figure it out. But let's just be. We also look for being soothed. So seen... Sorry, the coffee's coming back to bite me. Uh, seen, safe, soothed. So if we see all these things together, we need to be soothed. And this just goes back to any kind of relationship. Seen, safe, soothed. And what does that do? That creates a secure attachment. If we're seen, if we feel safe, and if we're soothed, we have security. And I want to call this out today that no matter where you are, what you've been through, God wants his best for you. And those three things, four things, through four things can be redeemed. And it might be scary. So what, so how do we get to that point? How do we get to a point where you know what? My relationships have always been messy. Well, okay, they're going to continue to be messy because these relationships are, but maybe they weren't safe. Maybe they weren't uh, good. How do I redeem that? Well, I redeem that by maybe going to a counselor, maybe talking to my pastor, maybe finding somebody that I know, okay, in this context, I'm going to dip my toe in the water to see if I can be seen. And then safety develops over time. And after safety develops over time, maybe I have something, an emotional upset or something happens and I'm soothed by that person. And now that trust is being built, those neural connections that we talked about at the beginning are beginning to develop and you're like, okay, I think this is secure. But here's the thing. Until the day Christ comes back, it's never going to be 100%. And here's where I'm going to challenge you is that you'll never experience it unless you take a risk. But don't take a risk unless you've figured these things out. So here's what I want you just to consider right now for reflection, and then I'll have the leadership team, and we'll spend the next 15 minutes or so going through those questions. But to get God's best, right? John 10.10 says what? He wants us to live life and live life to the fullest. It doesn't mean we're going to have gobs of money, and it doesn't mean we're going to live in a big house. No, that has nothing to do with, in my opinion, material possessions. His best for us is in relationship with others, in relationship with him. But what you might need to look at is knowing your attachment history. I know it's a big counselor term, but just reflecting on past relationships and any patterns that might be in there. And sometimes you can do that with a pastor. Sometimes you can do that with your, on your own. And sometimes you might need to call up a counselor. And that's okay. None of those are wrong. But if you're not going to enter into God's best, or if you want to enter into God's best, you need to at least explore that and call those things into the light okay? Number two is that you need to explore your own boundaries. What is intimacy to you? What is relationship to you? Um, When I was younger, like I met somebody and was so excited to meet them that they'd know my whole life story in the first 20 minutes of meeting. And then I was always wondering why weren't they going to be friends with me? Because I scared the crap out of them. I didn't have any boundaries. I didn't have any relationship boundaries, right? So it takes time, but you need to know what your boundaries are. And not only your boundaries as far as just you, but know and be able to understand others' boundaries as well so you don't cross them. And then the last piece is, do you need to either redeem or safeguard your intimacy? Do you need to either redeem or safeguard your intimacy? And again, none of this should be about shame or guilt. It's just realization. If I'm going to, from this moment, I'm going to draw a line in the sand, and today I'm going to seek God's best for me in relationships and intimacy and connectedness, some of these tough conversations have to happen. And all of us are really good at denial. All of us are really good at stuffing things down. All of us are really good at ignoring what needs to be done. And, and, and the funny thing is, is that we sometimes stay in that safety of the known, don't we? We stay in the safety of, this is a crazy life and a lot of crazy things have happened to me, but at least I know Doing these things, Mark, that you're asking me to do are unknown and they're scary. I understand that. But wouldn't you want to try and experience God's best for you than stay in the mediocre and the okay? We're never going to get back to Genesis chapter 2 until we get to see Christ face to face one day. And I'm hoping it's sooner than later. But if we understand these principles and we want to be like Christ, we can at least try to make those steps towards him. And we can't do it on our own, nor should we. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to have the leadership team. and I'm not going to make you do anything, but I want you to really experience what these Arthur Aaron questions look like. And maybe you want to just look at that. If there's a leader at your table that wants to go through, there's three different sets, set one, set two, set three. And you can ask them of your table and you can answer. Or maybe some of you need to come and and get prayed for. I'll be up here if you want to be prayed. I know the leadership team will be praying. We can pray with you. Maybe you just want to talk about what you've heard today and explore that with some safe people at your table. I don't care what you do with the next 15 minutes or so, but we're going to give you some tools. Either read the questions, uh, come get some prayer, or pray with each other or talk about some points that stood out from you, okay? And then we'll come back and close in a little bit.